0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: This episode of Unwell is brought to you by The Amelia Project. Have you ever daydreamed about disappearing and starting over? What if there was a company that provided just that service? Welcome to the comedy fiction podcast, The Amelia Project, a show about a secret death-faking agency. In each episode, you'll hear a new client being interviewed and the dilemmas that bring them to the death-faking agency. They're in turn funny, thought-provoking, or downright surreal. It's just such a delightful premise. We think you'll really enjoy it. You can find The Amelia Project wherever you listen to podcasts. And stick around for a trailer for The Amelia Project at the end of this episode. Hi there, Jeffrey here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode. This is a live recording from one of the talks that the Unwell team gave at the University of Pittsburgh Queer Horror Week this year. We're really excited to get to share this audio. Um, Unfortunately, it is uh, a recording that was done in a classroom, and so the quality might not be quite as clear as we might like, but that's okay. We hope you enjoy it and thank you so, so much again to the University of Pittsburgh for hosting us and and giving the opportunity to have these really interesting conversations. We can't wait for you to listen and take care. Welcome one and all uh, to our first
0: Panel of our Tuesday morning here at Ferrari Week at the University of Pittsburgh. My name is Bridget Keon. I'm a lecturer in the gender, sexuality, and women's studies program here at Pitt, and also a member of the Far Studies Working Group. And it is my honor to welcome the creative team behind the Unwell podcast here um, as part of our Meet the Podcast event. So if it's all right, I will let each of you introduce yourselves to our members. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Hi, my name is Jessica Best. I'm one of the writers on Unwell. I'm Amelia Bethel. I voice of my Uh, My name is Jess wright Buba. I'm another one of the writers on the show.
1: My name is Jeffrey Nils Gardner, and I'm the executive
2: producer and director of the show. Uh,
0: I'm Ellie Maitland. I uh, am a voice actor on Unwell, and I've also worked with Jeffrey and Hard Life as a sound uh, designer and performer as well. Wonderful. It is, it is such a pleasure to have so much of the, the team here to be able to really dive into various aspects of what it takes to make a horror our podcast. Uh, so I guess if we could just start with the basics, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about how Unwell got sorted, what some of the ideas were at the time of the creation, um, and where we are now in terms of the story, which you <laughs> and it, it, it's a few spoilers.
1: <laughs> we do <can't laughs> like to share. Uh, why don't I start that off and then I'll maybe back some to the writers, uh, for course, in the development process. So, um, Unwell is the second kind of flagship show that Heartlife NFP has made. Uh, the first one being Our Fair City. Um, Our Fair City ran for eight seasons, um, starting in. I think we started work on that in 2009, um, launched in 2011. Um, So, for uh, Unwell, we actually had on the production side um, a lot of the team kind of already together. Um, We uh, brought together a room of four writers from the Chicago area to develop. The piece and worked with a whole room of sound designers to kind of build out this fun of the sonic world. In terms of where the show comes from, um, so Unwell had its kind of very early roots in um, my life as a uh, young person in um, Central Ohio. I lived in. Gambier, Ohio, both as an undergrad student and then later when I went back to teach at Kenyon College. Um, And I was just in love with this beautiful Midwestern place. These long, sprawling stretches of road and cornfields that you could walk through for days. Uh, And I wanted to tell a story that used the tropes of gothic horror that we're used to seeing in um, the rolling moors of England uh, in this very American Midwestern place, Um, and that played with some of the ideas of history and um, things like that uh, in in a very American context, which is so different. I'll say a little bit more about um, the memory stuff, but writers, do you want to talk a little bit about what the what current the early development process was like?
0: I remember we were told at the very start um, that the two kind of tentpole uh, pieces of media we should consume going into it to have an idea of like kind of where the uh, the range of who's we we're going for, where House of Leaves and Gravity Falls mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: which, which was which was great. It was uh, it was great to have that range of uh, of feeling. So the way that the development happened, like very very initially, so it was us four writers, Jeffrey and Eleanor Hyde, who's um, the other executive producer, and we were all just in Eleanor's apartment, as I recall, with a bunch of post notes and just throwing ideas at the wall. I guess like. Figurative spaghetti literally all being splayed all over the walls. It was, I mean, anything from like, okay, like what is the main character's name? And all like private ideas and like literally post them wall. Um, what what are some, you know, uh, like things that could be interesting to happen in this world? I feel like we, we kind of knew going in um that it, well, we wanted to be about a house and it wanted it to be about a small town, and it wanted it to be that the Ghosts. <laughs> um, in this an I was, I, um, I remember saying I feel like this was during my interview um, because of the way that the the way that they, everyone that um, Heart Life solicited writers for this project was really exciting and in my mind pretty rare and a, a, a stunning opportunity, which is they had open submissions. Um, and I mean, I'm sure that was hellish on your end. <laughs> but it's. We got some ones. <laughs> Um, But it was great, wonderful um, to have. The, I, so we're it's usually it's like, oh, read the podcast. was like these people I know. said like, okay, we're going to open up enough to do, do And I remember at my interview, Jeffrey, it was the interview with Jeffrey and uh, Archive Writer, Jim Donning, who's a genius, and um, Eleanor Hyde. And the question was okay, like, there's this haunted house. Um and my question was um I'm in the, and, and you know, people are living in this house and it's this whole thing and I was like like why do they stay uh, like what is it um about the house and the community that's so compelling that leads people to to not just run away um because that's always so frustrating and boring it's like just leave <laughs> and your car and drive away or like um and so. That was, it was really, it was really compelling and amazing. A um, few weeks in the summer of 2017 of um, having the Florida's and um, Jeffrey and Eleanor building this world.
1: The, um, I, I, I don't want, I'm, I always quote you on this. And so I'm okay. actually going you know, to, the, 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 and it, it's so locked in my mind. It became just a guiding piece of the development process. Just like looked at this, was like, what makes this place so beautiful that you never want? To and that was so relegatory to me. Um, like, I'm so, I don't know. You see so many haunted house shows um, or movies where um, I feel like it's always like, oh, we've sunk all of our money into this place and we cannot leave. And, and like, I wanted, I was so excited about the idea of telling a story that rather than that, like, rather than being rooted in that desperation, being rooted in like the supernatural here is, is so wonderful. It's it's it feels a little bit like um some of Del Toro's stuff, where like the ghosts are actually the wonderful thing, and like the ghosts are there to help you and 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 support you. Um but also and while also not being um, you know, I think of the the amazing piece of like. Early aughts, um, maybe mid aughts, uh, internet fiction—the Diner House, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was this this story told over um, live journal entries, which dates it, uh, mm-hmm. and message boards and email and chat archives um, about uh, you know literally a house that eats people. And like, I was like, what if it's not a trap? but a legitimately wonderful thing. Um, I mean, the other, and, and I would love if anyone else has thoughts on this um, uh, as the show went on, but obviously the other big piece of the show, especially uh, that, that comes pretty early is memory and, and specifically dementia and um, uh, Alzheimer's and a big piece of of that piece of the story coming together was, um, you know, we all, everyone on the crew. Like I think in in, in the first read through, Eleanor looked around and said, "Okay, anyone who has someone in their immediate life, either you know, family, parent, grandparent, or someone close to them who has been dealing with Alzheimer's dementia, raise your hands And every everyone was like, "Yeah," um, and there just aren't that many stories that deal with it in a way that isn't dehumanizing or where like um not that memory loss is the monster but like the person with memory loss becomes a monster and we wanted to tell a story about someone going through early onset alzheimer's um because Dot is, Dot is young, Dot is you know, 60, um, that, that's very young for this um, and uh, which side note, we get this complaint sometimes where people are like, what, you know, why don't you have, a, why does she, she do an old lady voice? I'm like, you just don't know how old a six-year-old is, to you. <laughs> like, Media has been lying to you. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we wanted to tell a story where, where the person who had Alzheimer's was um, not a prop or a given circumstance, but was a character with agency. And um, yeah, if any of you have
2: things you want to add to that,
0: I, I will just take a minute and note that we have been joined by an extra panelist. Which is
3: Hi, I'm an extra panelist. <laughs> <laughs> <Is anyone laughs> uh, um, my name is Mark Soloff. I'm a voice actor on Unwell and also was on, the, on Heartlife's previous show, Our Fair City. I play the bad guy, <laughs> the Reverend Silas Lodge. The
0: misunderstood that. <laughs> <laughs> <And laughs> having just caught up with the with season, I'm really glad I'm on the side. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pretend. <laughs> he doesn't bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm happy to answer any acting
2: performance-type questions you have about the show. Mm-hmm.
0: A number of directions I think we can we can kind of take all your points in. Um, I guess we'll we'll kind of start with the the Alzheimer's and the issues of memory. Some of the discussions that we've been having this week are about horror as a medium to discuss transformation, mm-hmm. and that some of the most profound horror mm-hmm. that, that happens against our will um, and Sometimes that is the process of becoming monstrous, but I, I think Unwell does it in a really unique way, where it is an extremely human thing. Um, and I, I just love to talk a little bit more about about transformation among your characters, thinking about about Dot and her memory issues, but also thinking about how all your characters are are growing themselves, but growing towards each other, and and how that. I think forms the basis of your story, and then makes everything that happens so much more powerful because of that. Um, so, I wonder if you wouldn't mind kind of getting into the thoughts about the characters. It's so. Just best wrote this um, gorgeous, very strange town anthem um, in um, season one, episode three, um, and in it is this um, line. I um, like, in mean, the Hale and Vernon arms, we have everything we need in like, growing arms, like, and so I think that's so, horror is transformation, but, like, I mean, okay, so transformation is growth, and, like, isn't that what we're all trying to do with our lives, and, like, what, and, like, it's change as the worst thing um, is, I think, a mindset that a lot of our characters kind of enter the show, and perhaps we all entered this process. I, I, I think it's interesting. I don't want to get us off track. We're talking about the pandemic Please. and how it affected the show, it affected us, and, and this idea of well, things cannot change or I will break. And going through the pandemic, where it's like, well, we have to figure out a way to go forward without breaking because um because or what 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 I think as artists, especially, kind of trying to show some sort of path forward through the horror and through um, this new landscape. Um, And so, so yeah, it's yeah, this is the double edge of the the sword of of transformation as being the worst thing and the best thing, like it gets us out of these tricky situations, um, which we see, yeah, which we see characters. I think that's cool just uh, bringing it around to to your question about transition as it's typically opposed to horror and also what Jeffrey was saying about how Hollywood is lied to us because I feel like we are really used to seeing and accepting the idea of trans- transformation as growth when people are going through puberty. But in Hollywood, people are either like pale and burdened or old, and we don't see too old, uh, recognized very consistently at all. So an early onset story is uh, really compelling. And also I think really speaks to where we are as a culture in a way that we've been scared to address before now, because it's not as commercially viable, but as more and more people start having conversations about how their lives are changing, um, and having more access to these conversations, we're going to find uh, safer ways to move forward as a community. I think some of the most ominous characters and events that have been unwell do come from people who are unwilling mm-hmm. to change or who are very unwilling to transform and who are committed to things staying as they have been forever. Both in like the larger kind of like horror ways and even in the smaller like interpersonal moments like i feel like a lot of conflict just interpersonally comes from like well i've been this way and i don't want to change or i know how to act this way around you and i don't know how to do it another way and i'm unwilling to adapt um and then i feel like things i'm trying to like put it in a way that doesn't give stuff <laughs> like, <no. laughs> I, I feel like um People, in characters in the show end up having a better time when they decide that it's worth maybe adjusting um, or changing the way things happen or the way they've been.
1: I mean, I think it's it's worth saying that, like, um, and boy, this is going to be a funny thing to talk about, um, being in the city I grew up in uh, with my mother on the other side of this camera. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, no, but, um, you know, a central theme of the story is um, returning to, uh, you know, a place where you either grew up respect time, um, uh, as an adult, and, um, and interacting with a parent and like learning how to build a new relationship. Because like, um, you know, you have one relationship with your parents when one of you as a child and one of you as an adult, and there's a totally different one when you're both adults, um, and and kind of exploring that building process has been a thing that like we were really excited about working with um and you know i am fantastically lucky in that uh i have built a very interesting relationship with both of my parents, um, especially my mother, who's sitting here. <laughs> no, but um, and so and so getting to um, you know start the show with um, a relationship that is way more fraught, and discovering that adults how how those adults fit together um, has been, I think, one of the central transformations of the show.
0: And I think so often, especially kind of in in modern art, there is this idea that, that to escape is the goal and, and to be independent, to be free. And I think well subverts that really well by saying it is through building community that you can be safe, that that through camaraderie, through, through family ties, that, that is actually where safety lies. I think that's such a profound way of framing. <laughs> especially in this, I feel like, modern age of, like, kind of um, isolationism and that tendency towards, I like, this, like, you know, I get um, in, in moments of scarcity or pursue scarcity that you can kind of say, hey, this is my wall," or I citadel sit and, um and you're chatting in the, um, the car about, like, what, like, wh- where you care is kind of where you draw the borders. Like, I'm saying that completely botched. Um, but, and so I think that that um, I think that it, it was an important to I mean it's very important to Heart Life um um the company that produces unwell um to be inclusive and to like we are stronger together, surely. Like right? Like this is the we um and, and this isolationism and the like um is them is there another way. Yeah, it's a show about family that still doesn't put, like, the nuclear family on a shrine and say, like, oh, all of your needs are contained right here with these, like, four people.
1: Yeah, I think notably, like, it, like, it it does not privilege the family of blood over the family of choice um, and says, like, both of these are interesting and important relationships and um, that, like, you know, unwell is not a story about a mother realizing the daughter was right, and it's not a story about a daughter realizing mother was. Did I say the same thing both times? <laughs> anyway, no one's right. <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah, it's, it's, and, and, and like we really wanted to try it to, to tell a story that was more complicated than that, and that like was about everyone learning to give and to find. the the humanity and needs and and um responsibilities they had to to the other people um and to to choose them which i think given that this is queer horror week like there is there's a really strong thing in i think that is that is intrinsic to queerness as an idea of not this is how things are but this is how i choose them to be and um and i think a lot of unwell is about choosing the things that are important rather than uh, realizing that these are, if that makes sense. Absolutely.
0: And I just to preface, I, I come from a meeting where we were talking about what intersectionality and what intersectional justice actually looks like. And is that the realm of theory or is it the realm of fiction? And I feel like Unwell, in many ways, is a model of what that can look like, because it is a town where people are welcome and where people are able to open a record shop, where people take care of their neighbors and where people recognize that problems have to be dealt with as a community. Um, And I guess that would lead to my next question, which is what is it like to create the characters of Unmo, whether it's through writing them or through voicing them? What goes into the creation process? Um, How do these characters live in your minds? yeah, anything, anything on those that topic, please. There's so, <laughs> <laughs> so much. Where to start? <laughs> um, oh, and then I wanted to talk about Mark's character really quick for a little bit um without giving it spoilers. Okay, so um we're gonna have to just talk, I like, think I don't know, season like two to make <laughs> <pick> some <something laughs> <right. laughs> Um so um Yo, buzz. <laughs> <Redacted. laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, like we we were so lucky to, um to have um so the way that it works is we have these all, all day um wonderful glorious meetings we all meet together once a year and we the entire series all as a team. And then we have a meal together, and so you really get to 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 learn to just meet the actors and the be human beings in a room. Um and it's so funny because, like, Mark Solop is so funny, <laughs> and he has such mm-hmm. this like amazing sense of humor and grace. And, um, and I um, and so in creating the woods or um, Silas Lodge, this kind of kind of what could be kind of seen as kind of personified people, um, and how and how to humanize that character um, as, a, as a as a writing team, I think is something that we felt very and because, I mean, thing, things are easy when things are kind of good, bad, this kind of split. Um, and and so, so yeah, so I guess the question is how, how to insert levity, how to insert kind of a real um, motive, and um, I guess how, how on your end Mark has that been, um, um, I guess, personifying? Um,
3: approaching the character was... A challenge because the character starts out um, showing up very, very infrequently in season one. I think it's only two episodes of season one. So like the the Jaws shark showing up in the beginning and then you don't see it for a while. Um, And there's a lot of mystery around the character, which is true for me. The actor, when I get the script, I... The entire history of Silas Lodge is not revealed to me ahead of time. Um, so I I had to kind of like really try to pull some some stuff out of the writers and uh, and Jeffrey. Um, but uh, going uh, Creating character with so many unknowns, um, I had to look at what was presented on the page and also what would it take to make a reasonable person do those things um, or feel so strongly about exacting revenge, sending a violent message, you know, what, what would make someone want to intimidate other people in the way that Silas Lodge does. Um, And so personally, I had to draw from um, a feeling of vulnerability and reflect on times that I had been um, really hurt or scared and that feeling of righteous indignation when somebody is making you suffer uh, or harming you and you're powerless, you're helpless. Um, Because I think there's a lot of rage inside of Silas Lodge, even though he likes to present himself as sort of a buttoned up authority figure, a religious man, and kind of a community leader of of the old colonist settlers um but underneath all that, there has to be a, a human race he can't just be I'm a bad ghosty person, and I want to hurt the living <laughs> so i'm I'm sorry if that's like uh, such a such an omnipresent answer when you ask an actor how do you approach the character? Well, I try to think about <laughs> what would make me do those things. Um, I would never set anybody on fire. By the way, spoilers <laughs> for season one. <laughs> Not with that attitude. <laughs> no, no, I just don't believe in
0: myself. <laughs> no, it's interesting though that you're uh, looking at Silas in relation to uh, relationship to the church and the the ways to justify. Of those feelings of validate uh, of uh, vulnerability and to subsume those by uh, by like established norms or needs. Like one of the things that's interesting to see that Silas and uh, spoilers season three uh, Hazel have in common is like the I think the tension between community and modelists, where they're trying to. Uh, speak for a group because they are not confident enough in the way that they as individuals feel threatened. I have a different experience perhaps playing a more grounded person who you might meet in real life in this very not necessarily real life town. Um, I feel very lucky in that I think I have a lot that I share with Marisol. Um, And that was evident when I saw the breakdown was kind of like, she's just a no nonsense person who's realized she lives in a very quirky place and is dealing with it. Um, And I think that that kind of, I think that you can see that difference in how she lives in the town and how she approaches issues. You can tell kind of that she chose it um, after living elsewhere, um, which is very, uh, very fun to, to get to be someone who is deeply, you know, involved in the community and involved in the town, but also has a bit of a perspective from outside, having, I mean, you know, lived elsewhere and found the town through other means. Um, for me, there's kind of a quiet boldness to my soul that I really love. Um, she's someone who I wish I could be more like because I do not. I would never approach someone who I thought was could be like, by the way, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of my that's a great Nikyu. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so very aggressive going for um, I just love that about her um, so very much. And it's been it's been really special to get to grow with with her because I mostly work in theater. And so you kind of do the play and then you're done and you remember it fondly, but you don't get to kind of explore your own voice within the voice of someone that you're portraying. And so that's been a really special opportunity
1: um, for me. Well, and, and maybe one of the guests can speak more to this, but there's a really interesting thing doing this kind of serialized fiction where, you know, we wrote the first season without any actors. Um, we, we wrote it and then cast it. Uh, but after that, we had heard them do the roles. And so we we be, uh we began to be able to craft these characters to the actor's performances.
0: Yeah. Um the warmth that Amelia has, I feel like really just kind of grounds like because the, so we have like Lily rolling into this town, and it was like, oh, there's so much again, like the memory just kind of permeates. And like, you know, when you go back to like your hometown and like Memories theoretically are awesome, but it's just you're just tripping over sorrow a lot, like, thinking, just in it. Like, you're just like, Oh, my tongue is better. I'm like, Cool, that was like where I was gonna really say, you know, there's all this kind of um, yeah, all these kind of intense and um, yeah, sometimes it's like just flashes of unpleasantness. And then you have like body soul just being like so like, like, fucking like, warm and just like doing your but I, okay, well, also, this is. Fun. Um, it's interesting having, um, soul enter the space and not be like, oh, like, here is, like, this, you know, gorgeous, wonderful partner for Lily, and then, you know, I feel like kind of it's expanding into the character of soul past like, this, um, like, this, like, kind of, like, owns a record shop, like, how amazing is that human being, um, and kind of um, giving her like depth and perspective and agency. And um, there's um, this, the fight that happens, season three (laughs) is a fight, um, that um, happens between Mari and Lily and it's a really just hard thing to, I don't know, to listen to and to, to, well, to write. And um, yeah, it's really
2: really...
1: I mean, I think we, we wanted to with, you know with the, the with this primary romantic relationship in the show um be able to explore you know so often in um in serialized fiction you see two characters get together and you're like well one of them is they're gonna like something awful's going to happen they're gonna break up next episode or more often, especially if they're queer characters, one of them is gonna die. Um, and we both did want to do that, and also like wanted to model relationships that were more real, where like you have a fight, and it's it's awful, and it sucks, and you learn from it, and you grow, and you keep dating, and uh, and then sometimes later it doesn't work out, or you know, it, like that that were more complex than like it is perfect, and then it's. Perfect. Um and and play with some of that middle ground. And like I won't know if Marisol and Lily are like perfect for each other. See, so they certainly in like like in those first wonderful new moments, it's like, oh perfect record store Well, yes. And then and then like, oh, actually we're like pretty incompatible in some ways. And are we gonna grow and like learn how to
2: balance that? Or
0: maybe we'll I
2: think
0: they're great together. <laughs> that, that is another thing that's like great about the writing in this uh, show and how it's approached from uh, places of love and wanting uh, the best for each other, but also the, the self at the same time. Like like you were saying about how they love this town and that's not women and that's why they don't GTFO, but like... Uh, one of the things I see a lot in, in Chicago theater in new works is often like people are, the writers are so enamored of the bon Mo that they say it's awful, cutting, exquisitely crafted things that no one would stay in the room after. And I don't see that in unwell because everyone's always coming from a place of love. And that doesn't, that means the dialogue never has to have like a razor's edge. There can be like soft moments that people can live and breathe through. It reminds me a lot of a, a writer I really enjoy from the Mary Doriel Russell, who has like these really deep, intense, philosophical conversations with their characters that do not require leaving them after. And that is, that always gives me more hope for more story with characters, because there's there's no point of no return going to uh, character stuff, um, I feel a little bit like in a similar vein as Mark's process because there's some pressure with the characters that uh, the character I play, the waitress and reconciling a character that is also a a force in some ways in this town and some of the things that have been rewarding about the experiences I've had in the recording room, uh, having also worked with Jeffrey on our last previous show, Our Fair City um, and also as a sound artist too, is there have been instances where thinking about it from a sonic perspective as well as a character perspective and having some really big strident moments where uh, I was able to ask Jeffrey, do you want to conduct me through how I deliver this line? So just as an additional set uh, piece in our toolkit. And also like the elements of like exertion sound reels can be really fun to explore just the the wide array of sounds to give them in the editing room for the ways that they can also manipulate the sounds. So I'm not just a person, but also many things once uh, a scene is more realized after editing has taken place. What does it look like to conduct a person? <laughs> that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, this is going to be great in an audio format. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, and, 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 and like talking a little bit about Ellie and my process with this, um, also notably uh, Sebastian, who is not here, who plays the kind of pair to Ellie's force of nature. Is that, um, that? <laughs> uh, Yeah. I think um, in, in, I'm thinking of the first, the, the, the episode two, the uh, first diner episode where the waitress and the proprietor show up. Um, in that first recording session, uh with Ellie we actually recorded it all the way through twice um which usually we will you know we'll do several takes of a thing but um those of you who have heard the episode know that there is a version of the the, the waitress's voice that is very human and lovely <laughs> there's the there's an um and uh Ellie was so gracious to do a full version of it in yeah, that nice, kind voice. And then, oh one monstrous, um, which allowed me to go back and say, like, I want this line from here, and I'm gonna hold this line and just like cut and paste and collage it, along with um, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of uh Elliot Sebastian just like slobbering and <laughs> barking and growling and breathing into the mic that I was just able to kind of lay out and again, like collage and mix together and layer in the background of other scenes and things like that. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's one of the really cool things about audio fiction. And I know we'll, we'll talk more about in the in in our next thing, but that you're able to create these sonic palettes, uh, with your actors and as a director and sound designer later to go back in and kind of take what you want and mash it all together and come out with something totally different.
0: Please join us today at 2 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I'm going to pick up on the diner um, for just a second for, for many reasons. Um, And I would argue that that we could probably spend the rest of the week here talking about the concept of ghosts in Mount Absalom and and the nuances of those characters and what they are and what they represent and things like that. But coming from a queer horror perspective, I think one of the, the really great things about Unwell is that we have queer ghosts as well as queer characters. And that is so rare in in horror, in general, I feel like in so many of our queer hauntings are coming from memorials, or, or memoirs rather, or coming from different kinds of genre fiction. Please talk about queer books in any way that you would like. I just think it's such a profound presence in the story that I'd love to just discuss more. It was so fun to do. It's like the opposite of bridging a character. It's like you open up the bridge. So <laughs> oh, I love that. It's such a shame that this has to be a conversation about like, oh, like we're ghosts. Like, why aren't like I don't know. Like, there should be like you know this is the the you know this the this is you know and this it's like. Oh, only straight people are going to see. he ghosts? Like
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> we're we are just as deserving as anything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so there's, I mean, I think there's an interesting thing where like every part of me wonders like, why aren't there so many more? I mean, yeah. the ghost story at so many times is and and this is notably like not what the unwell um, ghosts are, kind of maybe. Who knows? That's a very complicated question, but like so often ghosts are unfinished business Mm -hmm. and who has more unfinished business than someone who has had to live in the closet? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, thankfully many of us get to finish some of that business, but like, you know, um, as, as someone who understood their queerness relatively later in life. There are, and, and is now walking around the, you know, the streets of the, the town where I was a high school student in, like, yeah, there's a certain presence of, like, the, the, um, the person who I was trying to be and who I was, um, who I thought I was or, or who I legitimately was and, um, and have become now and how strange that is. Um,
3: I'm not sure if this was covered already. I arrived tardy. Um, this is a university, so I wanted to kind of get back into that student vibe. Right? <laughs> we're, um, we're clearing everything,
0: including
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um Yes, so one thing that really strikes me about Unwell, and again, forgive me, it's, this has been covered already, is that there's such representation without a lot of... Um, uh, oh look, everybody! It's the one person in town who's like this. Or you know, my character, the the big bad, is not overtly um, like bigoted against queer people or people of different ethnicities, which you would absolutely expect from like a traditional horror thing. The, the dead reverend from colonial times is back to seek revenge. Of course, he's going to be a horrible bigot, but. If he is, you don't see that a lot. That's not the point of the character. And the struggle that these characters have isn't so much, you know, I'm gay and my mom doesn't agree with it, that kind of thing. It's we are people who have different life views and different ways of living, and we're cool with each other. Sometimes we have disagreements, but it's not about like fundamentally our identity or our sexuality. And I like I went to college in a small town in Ohio. I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, and so this sort of area, uh, like to me, seeing that you know, seeing Rudy uh, rooting through some some old ball gowns in the basement, and the other characters like, what are you doing? "Uh, Oh, I'm just looking for something pretty to wear. Cool, you should check that one over there. They're not like Rudy. How dare you? Or you're not supposed to do that. In that like floored me because unfortunately um, like the places where I live that are like Mount Absalom are not that accepting. And so it's, it's funny because there's so many horror elements, but there's also sort of a Star Trek-esque like beautiful utopian value system that so many of the characters have. Um, so I think uh, Unwell has great representation and also like, it's not a story,
1: like a, a traditional, like, queer struggle story. I think that's that's really well said, um, uh, that last bit. Like, we we were interested in telling a queer story that was not a queer, uh, a a story about queer suffering.
0: Yeah, it's post-struggle. Like, everyone, uh, like, identity. identity is more accepted, and they have, like, they can have more problems about, like, their...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 like. I mean, okay. So um, we have these things, um, these pillars of how we made art that we that um, the writers room and and Elmer and I like talked about in the very beginning, and we kind of revisit and look at. And um, and one of these pillars of art making is the idea that stories can open space in culture, and. Um, I, am, I am a deeply politically involved person, um, I am alive in 2022, so of course, um, but I um, am uh, yeah, an activist of various kinds um, and, and like to think that I always try to bring a piece of that to the world, but also like I have no illusions that like Unwell is not going to change who becomes the next president of the United States. It is not going to have necessarily a like direct revolutionary political effect, but um, by uh, presenting a world that looks more like we want the world to, by showing people this example, by um, you know we get we get lovely emails all the time from. You know listeners who are in um you know small towns in the midwest and say like i i see myself in these characters i i like um we can open some space for for people like us to exist within the culture and so i i don't i don't know i i don't necessarily want to say we like that this is like a world where Bigotry has been solved because it's it's not quite. But also, like we wanted to, want to not have to zoom in on that all the time.
0: I think Unwell is a really great example of art that imagines a future, um, and I think that's one of the things that art is best at is imagining futures. And I think Unwell is a great example too of how you don't have to see the future in a hundred years; you can see the future happening right now, you can even see the future influencing the past. Um, and, you know, imagining a future perhaps where our descendants are looking back on us, perhaps, uh, as we are trying to look on ourselves as we are trying to look on them. Um, and I don't know, as like a biracial queer person who's playing a biracial queer person um, who does not talk that often about being biracial or queer, it's very exciting to just have my, like, actual life in a lot of ways represented and not dissected. Um it's it's really powerful and it's a rare instance where that has happened um, to me personally. And it's something that I think is very valuable.
2: Very very valuable. Absolutely. Thank you for that.
0: They just want to check in and see if we have online questions. Then we probably get some fantastic. Yep. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, so I will also say it out loud, but if any of our online visitors um, have any questions to pose to our team as a well, whole, uh, please feel free to either use the Q&A function or use the chat, um, and we'll be happy to address them. But I saw a hand also, so yeah,
2: First of all, thank you so much for coming and uh, uh, giving us a, 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 some stimulating and uh, generous conversation. Uh, I, I wanted to go back all the way to the beginning of the conversation and the initial inspiration for the show, which was presented with uh visual, really. you know, this, this is what this landscape looks like, this is sort of the, um, where, where the idea came from, right? And, and I just wanted to sort of um, ask you all to, to tell us a little bit about, you know, what, if anything, visualization plays as, as, as a role in a podcast creation. You know, I mean, I, I just thought that moment was very interesting and, and provocative. And uh, it, it has sort of 10 year that, that attach to some of the other things you guys have been talking about.
0: I will throw out uh, one of my favorite possibly apocryphal stories about when television was starting to get really pop- popular in American homes. There was a little boy who was interviewed um, and asked point blank, which he liked better, radio or TV. And he said, I like radio, The pictures are better.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh. And, and there's so much, there's so much at the heart of that lovely story. It's one of my favorites, uh, especially when Ellie tells it. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, horror is is so interesting, and interestingly, romance also is really good in the audio medium because um, your visualizations of the world are your own. Um, I, You know, boy, there, there's so many ways to go with that. I think... Um, you know, I will say in my process, I um, I know that an episode is ready when I listen to it and I see the whole thing happen in front of me. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of, so as, as a director, I work both with, in, in I, I kind of touch every piece of the process. I work with the writers in the room to develop the scripts, and then I'm in the room with the actors, coaching them and and kind of crafting the performances. And then I work with the sound designers um, and myself myself, um, to kind of fully realize the world. And audio fiction is fascinating in that your sound designer ends up being your costume designer, your lighting designer, your set designer. Um, They do all of the blocking. For the show, um, and, and again, I can't wait to talk more about that in the in the afternoon panel because there's so much interesting stuff that goes into to that process. Um, but you know, our, our refinement process is like often. You know, I will give a pass of notes that is like a hundred places in the 20 minute episode where I think we need a little bit of fabric movement, or a footstep, or a turn, or a shift. And it's just all this little stuff like that that just embodies everything. And for me, what that does is, as it all kind of sinks together, suddenly it's happening in front of me. Um, and um, so that's, that's a really powerful process. There's also something uh, that our uh, Ryan Sheely uh, was our sound designer, our lead sound designer for the first two two seasons, I believe, um, and is a longtime collaborator of mine, um, amazing designer. Um, He designed the entire house uh, because we knew, okay, so much of this is going to be in this house. And we drew a floor plan, uh, like an accurate ground plan showing how far, how everything connected. And then Ryan made an audio tour where you heard footsteps walk up the front path and onto the steps and into the front door and walked in, and you say, Oh, and here you can hear what this entryway sounds like, and you hear the reverb in the space and how like how much the sound was deadened and then how many steps it took to walk across that room into another room. And so we have different, like distinct doors for each room and different sounds, like the level of the radiator and what, you know, what fan there is. And okay, this is how the stairs creak. Um, and gosh, in that moment, you know, we had been for two years or something, a year, um, talking about this show and developing it and then suddenly the house was real and it was amazing um and we have used that you know all of our we have a a, a big sound design team um had what six or seven different sound designers building the world and they all listen to that to get a feeling for what each room sounds like and and that is in part to anchor the listener in the kind of reality that they would usually get from visual information. Um, and by having, being really diligent about, it always takes this long to get across, and this room is always next to this room. So they go in there, or, or we could hear someone talking in that room, allows us to then break those rules and have it actually impact. Um, there is a big supernatural moment in the end of season one where um, things are going wrong and Alexander Danner, one of the sound designers, you, you walk into a room and uh, it, it's in part a, a bit of the, um, the magic happening and, and Dot's disorientation and the house spins and it flips and suddenly everything is on the wrong side. And even if you don't pick that up, it's profoundly disorienting. And it was such, and it, it was not a thing that was in script. I believe, right? Okay. Um, I didn't want to like
2: steal your credit there.
1: <laughs> um, no, but as really I think he's like, I have this idea. It's really weird. Can I try it? And we were just, we were so stunned by it. Sorry, just so a little
2: That's, bit that's
0: the, the awesome gorgeousness of, of working um, in audio, in this collaborative medium where you can try really crazy, weird stuff and it's great. Like, and 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 everyone just kind of just spiraling forward and making it better. And I feel like, you know, this was like a, I don't know, like a movie or something. It's like, no, you can't try that crazy thing because I would add a quadrillion dollars to the budget and where are we going to button? It's like, oh, there's so much flexi- more flexibility to... Um, to be nimble with the story, nibble with the character, then with the themes and kind of adjust as, as everyone's creative brains are kind of in this tornado of
2: amazingness.
0: It's really cool just um, that walking tour uh, Ryan gave you and how that hyper-specificity just is so inspirational to the rest of the creative team and how that makes sure everyone is telling the same story and your audience can still absolutely absorb it in their own tailored unique ways but everyone being on the same page about what it is uh what their goals are is is so much of what makes uh audio drama work like everything has to just be super specific and that doesn't mean simple uh but like all those different levels of spatial relationships being realized in sound, like it's it's a really exciting new vocabulary to be playing in. And I would add to that too that film is is wonderful and and creates that spectacle that is so important. But we mentioned this yesterday too that that audio is so intimate and that it's it's part of your life. It's in your kitchen while you're cooking. It's in your car, and I think. To, to your point, Jeffrey, about kind of we may not be changing the world, what you're doing is creating empathy with characters whose lives aren't like yours and making it easier to understand their lives. And I think that, that is world change on some level. So, I mean, I, I think that's important, but I also think it makes those tiny moments in the basement that much more unsettling because this is... A world that is whispering in your ear, and that you are part of in a way that you've been invited into. Um, my parents are on the Zoom call. Hello. No. Um, but my my dad and I were listening to, to that scene you we were describing, and we were driving. We were coming up to a red light, and when that sound clip happened, like he just slammed on the brakes. I was like, okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? And luckily, we're able life, like that all that out, but it, it was like that profound of a moment when even though it's still going things happen beautiful. Interested in this this idea. So we have this this it's interesting because i like we're talking about audio and how how imagery is really um, is so important and visual imagery. And I think it's not just like a listener is, is 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 creating these rooms in their mind with images from their own life, You know and so that makes it so extra kind of hyper into it again, but I guess hyper-personal is that you have maybe these characters and these these people that um, are maybe not part of your own worldview if you live in certain parts of the country, but they are then part of the landscape of your mind um, and you can you know, populate them in a kind of very, yeah, way. That's way. I, I like to throw out a concept that uh, I use in live uh, audio drama performance, um, which is stolen from puppetry. It's the notion of proxy. And there's a quote uh, that is, um, if an audience sees a character strike a child on stage, they see that child being struck. Whereas if an audience sees a character strike a puppet child on stage, they see that character striking all children. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: so there's that framework where you can put your overlay your own personal experience onto it. So that does make it more intimate in a way. It's really interesting to play with. Um, I do know we, we are at time, but um you, do we have online um, questions? We have one. Okay, um breaking up um, to do with IO. Oh perfect. Okay, excellent. Well I'm going to be selfish and ask one more question and that's
2: okay.
0: Please. um as a, as a story of my training, I think one of the the most entertaining thing for me is the not only the way memory works in the show, but the memory objects in the show. So we have, we have VHSs, we have audio tubes, we have music boxes, we have individuals who are coming back from the past and telling us stories and things like that. Um, and I I love to just pick your brain about the meanings of those because um, to me, in some way, those are ghosts too.
1: Um,
0: but also sometimes the-
1: literally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but but. How how that works into the world, how that history is part of the present, and um, yeah, just just come kind of talk about that. First. From a practicality element, I'd say that anytime you're uh, leaning more into modern and less analog objects, that uh, is uh, taking away some of your opportunities for like tactile, tactical, or tactile uh, representation and feeling and emotional connections to objects, and uh, is less likely to have like an emotional connection with the audience uh, connected to like their physical, spatial relationships. So that can be a, a good thing to take advantage of from a design perspective. It also uh, can lend itself to um, eccentricities within uh, characters in a modern context. The example I am excited about pretty consistently, it's like how evocative the sound of the ring of a landline phone is. Versus the tailor-made opportunities that were given by cell phones, but it only has cell phones these days. And so if you're using uh, one of those landline style rings for a cell phone, that automatically tells you something about that character uh, by the choices they've made of it.
2: Yeah,
1: I think um, I, I have always been fascinated by those kinds of physical artifacts that contain information you know um especially sound designers and sound artists uh often you know have this yet for like um uh hoarding you know cassettes that you used to have in like answering machines um and things like that um uh, my mother and i found um fairly recently uh just like whole giant Tiny bags full of uh real real tape that my rate aunt and others have recorded um and have been working on digitizing pieces of that. Uh, I for in, in my life I have this all of these um uh cassettes that uh, my friends recorded. We would we would do karaoke and we'll just record ourselves talking for hours. And they're this fascinating way of like actually hearing what what we were like for better or for worse, um, and like engaging with that and, and getting to like to to experience those in this in this like wonderfully tactile way. Um, and but also yeah, as I was saying, some like it's always exciting when you can really you know temporarily place. A thing by its recording quality, and we have so many wonderful plugins that will emulate, you know, VHS crunch and the compression you get from saturating, you know, you know the tape and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, those because those are exciting to a listener here, also like the variety of recording quality. Um, the idea that all those are kind of temporal and like
0: fade and like degrade. Yeah. And exactly. yeah. Impermanence of recording something that, um, you know, this, um, or your grandma records an episode of Highlander over your childhood, mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for instance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really good. That's pretty rad.
0: <laughs> <Super wise.
1: laughs> I am struck there is this amazing, uh, I'm not remembering the exact title of it. So flipping through desperately, which is really great audio. You're welcome. Uh, I can jump in real
2: quick.
3: I'm a huge proponent of science education. um, And there's, oh, thank you. Such such a brave choice (laughs) now. Um, there's a line in the movie, Everything All at Once, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's something like the more scientific discoveries we make, the more we realize how stupid and what wrong we were before about our perception of existence in the universe. And I am not a historian, but I think that in Unwell, you see there are instances of community or people in the know have an idea of the history of the town and the events that happened Mm -hmm. and then new information comes to light and you learn oh the telescope was actually built by a woman and a a woman who was not born in the united states of america and like what will people think with this new revelation um and and then you have like like the delphic order this who you would think would know the real deal about all the dirty secrets of the town. Um, And I forget which season this is in, but there is some controversy between members about particular work. And so even the knowledge holders have disagreements and territorial wars and stuff which twists and shapes how we view our history.
0: The unreliability
1: of memory. Yes. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. There you go.
2: Together. <laughs> um, can, can I talk about the, the Delphics
1: for a quick second, Um So, the Delphics um, were a thing. The, the the root of the Delphics for me, where this idea came from, is 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 two things. Um, uh, one, just like a fascination with secret societies that actually like that that get themselves up, you know, the Elks and, uh, you know, yeah, all of these groups that are like, are like, you know, we are an ancient mystical order and like, you're you're six dudes in um, (laughs) in the basement. And like, that's fine. Like I have, you know, like six dudes in a basement is a fine thing to be, but like, let's, let's chill out. Um, and, but, but the other thing is that like, um, I I got obsessed with this idea and it didn't actually, it kind of made it in the show, Um, but the idea of uh, an order like that, that had their their lodge and then underneath it in this very like rats in the walls, like you go down and there's a Roman ruin and like, you know, below that, there are these ancient Pictish and like, and then you're like, wait, this is America. Mm where are the the Romans, like, oh, no, they, they built that in the, like, you know, 1892 or whatever because they wanted it to, like, feel old and, like, no, that's, like, it's all, you know, it's, it's a hollow stone, like. Cosplay all the way down. Yeah,
0: exactly,
1: like, this idea of, of a group that, like, had that, like, self-serious, like, um, and, like, very um exoticizing, creepy things that, like, lots of, um especially, like, American or, uh, European secret societies do of like, you know, we are pretending to this ancient knowledge, and like, really, it's a dude in the 1900s who just wrote all this while he was drunk. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and so like the idea of um, getting to unearth a little bit of that like um, mystical history and like actually look at like, okay, who was who who writing this, and what how where did this come from?
0: I had a professor that uh, called that borrowed prestige. resident mm-hmm. yeah. 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 also coincides with that, like the model versus the community.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: acknowledging that we are at time, I will, I will take a moment to, to thank each and every one of you for such a, a brilliant conversation, to thank our in person
2: guests.
0: the fable and folly network where fiction producers flourish congratulations you've reached the amelia project a new life awaits if you're not serious about this hang up if you continue there's no way back leave your message after the beep
3: Enter the offices of The Amelia Project and be ready for surprises, twists and turns. Follow the Amelia team as they help their clients fake their deaths and come back with new identities. Each episode is different. Each client coming to the death faking agency has a unique story to tell. If death and disappearances, comedy and crime, mystery and magic sounds like your cup of cocoa, The Amelia Project is the podcast for you. Search for The Amelia Project wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, leave your message after the beep.